Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Tez International Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Worth. In this episode, we talk with Rob Ford, Director of Heritage International School in Chisnau, Moldova. We discuss how he came to be teaching in the country, how education is going through a huge transformation in Eastern Europe, and why international teachers should consider the region for their next posting. Hi there, Rob. Uh, thank you so much for taking part in the TES International Podcast. And um, I think to start with, why don't you just tell everyone a bit about yourself, your role, where in the world you're talking to us from? Thanks, Dan. It's a real pleasure to, to be asked to do this for TES. Um, I'm Rob Ford. Um, I'm Director of Heritage International School. Uh, look on a map because we're right on the other side of Europe to the UK. We're 3,000 kilometres away, sandwiched between Romania and Ukraine. And I've been here now just over 18 months. Um, it's a fascinating part of the world. Um, one that many people in the UK haven't heard of. We're, we're Europe's least visited tourist destination, especially in times of COVID as well. Um, but uh, prior to coming here, I was the principal of Wydean School on the English-Welsh borders for several years and also worked in Wooden Bassett and many years in, in, in Bristol. So it's, uh, it's a real um, hop around from, from the Welsh borders all the way over to the uh, Eastern European borders now. Wow, yeah, that's that's quite some difference and a fascinating fact there about the uh, least visited <laughs> country in Europe. That's, I don't know why it's, a, it's an amazing place to visit. People should come here more. Well, well I'm sure we'll, we'll find out why soon. I mean, maybe you should start by explaining then how you came to be in Moldova. I mean, I'm assuming it wasn't a sudden sort of, you know what, I've got to f- fulfil that dream. It was probably something more random, wasn't it? Well, good, goodness, uh, I know the TAS doesn't have a, a special section on Moldova and sort of international overseas jobs on a Friday. Um, I've worked with Moldova for about seven years um, through various networks like the British Council and eTwinning. Um, I've actually been involved with working with Eastern Europe and Russia for about 20 years and spent mm. some time in Siberia, in Tomsk, worked with schools in Poland, in Czech Republic. Um, Moldova fascinated me because the commitment to education here, which you see in all the sort of post-Soviet societies, is really strong. So you look at their GDP and how much they spend on education. I think they're in about the top 20% um, of countries, according to the OECD. So there's a real commitment to education and also because of the way these societies are developing, how the transformative power of learning can actually, um, you know, produce the next generation that can take the countries on further. Mm. And I just worked with great educators and it, and it really was by chance. I, I, I loved the school community of Wydean and what we were doing there. Um, but sometimes a challenge comes along and um, the founders of, of Heritage wanted the school. It had just been established, but really it needed to get itself um, as a truly international school. It's the first international school in Moldova, and there aren't many in this part of Eastern Europe either. And uh, I, one of those decisions where um, you think, if I don't do this, I'll, I'll be Mr. Chips and I'll be 20 years um, collecting my gold carriage clock and uh, it, I, I, no regrets at all. I mean, it, it's been a wonderful challenge. It hasn't always been easy, but um, the, the the real work we're doing here and, and, and the, the sort of the wider work of working with education in Moldova has been, has been really, really important. I also like linking it back to what we're doing with the UK, so the British Council and, and organisations like this. So um, and I, I just find um, this commitment and, and this passion for learning um, really, really sort of strong, and, and that was a real pull as well. Mm. I mean, so many questions sort of spring to mind now. I suppose let's start maybe a little bit with 
can you explain a little bit more then about how it was you'd been working in that part of the world already? What were the sort of reasons that had happened and that that sort of presumably went when the offer came, it wasn't a complete unknown. You actually had a good sort of understanding of what, what you were going into. Well, I mean, again, it, it was, it, um, I was a history teacher. I'd like to think I still am a history teacher, even though I don't do, do much teaching now, but I still, I still do some as we all should as leaders um, and be able to have, have the integrity to look our colleagues in the face when we're sort of walking around but I actually set up some, some projects between schools in Russia and, and Germany at the end of the 1990s when I was in Bristol. And we were using sort of video conference cameras. And, and actually it was the, the kids on a Wednesday afternoon saying, do they learn about World War II in Germany or how do they teach it in Russia? Because somebody had heard they, they'd call it a different name, the Great Patriotic War. Mm. And the British Council at that point, I've been doing my ambassadorial role for a short while. And... They became very interested in this project because, of course, we're connecting classrooms. We're bringing the world into classrooms and we're bringing real life learning for children, which isn't abstract in textbooks, and especially in a subject like history. And as we're trying to make sense of the past, which is then linked to the future, because the legacy of all that history in this part of the world, uh, and we've seen that recently in our own country. I mean, I, you know, I come from the city of Bristol where the Colston statue was rolled into the docks and we've been re-examining all that history around slavery and what we teach in schools but actually, there were some very uncomfortable truths that people needed to confront here. And interestingly, you know, when we look at how the Holocaust is taught in Germany, or we look at how the history of curriculum was, was, was changing in Russia. I mean, even when I gave a, um, a lecture at Thompson State University, and we were talking about Stalin and, and Hitler, and I remember getting booed, and the translator said, you might want to stop now, because, uh, you know, this isn't sort of what they teach in their schools. You know, this mm. is, you know, they don't talk about the terror, they don't talk about the famine of the Ukraine. So it really hooked me in, especially when kids are really benefiting from, and colleagues, from, from, from traveling to these places. And actually, what we need as we've become you know, one continent after the sort of the, the, the collapse of communism in the sort of 1990s, is we needed that sort of tie-in with our common European history. Um, so Moldova wasn't an unknown, but it, I mean, my first visit here was um, at the start of uh, January 2019. What I always found fascinating when we did um, video conference work with the schools here is just how powerful that commitment to, to, link, to, to languages. And we've got European Day of Languages on the 26th, but these kids speak two or three languages fluently. They, they need English as their world language. They've got Russian and Romanian in their families. And so this sort of uh, plurilingualism was really powerful. And also, um, I remember some of the first conferences where they said, please don't say whether you, you know, Europe's poorest country, or please don't say that, uh, you know, we're, we're struggling with this Soviet legacy. Um, and I thought it was really powerful that they had this strong sense of identity and, and where they were in the world and also being able to talk to their peers as well mm. in Bristol or in classrooms in, in sort of Wales as I, I was then. And, um, you know, we did all the nice themes. Um, we all like a cup of tea and we all uh, like music and football and all those kind of things. But there were some really good searching questions about you know, what people wanted to do with their lives, like all young people. I remember mm. being, when I was in Wales as a deputy head at Krakow and, you know, keeping young people in Wales is a big thing, finding the jobs and finding the, you know, the career paths and universities. And it was the same really for the Jasper here. Not many young people necessarily want to stay here. So it, it really hooked me into these, you know, when we talk about our roles as educators and we look at developing life chances for our young people and, putting them into the next stage of life and them taking on leadership. I think these projects were really part of what sort of drove me on um, as a school leader, as an educator. 
and and I, I, it, it, there's always something new to discover. There's always something different to do. Um, and I think that that really coming here and being able to sort of, as it were, be in the field as an international educator has been really important. And obviously, I keep my connections and my links to to the UK very strongly, mm. and it's working with schools there, and again, partnerships with the British Council um, and connecting classrooms. But um, it is different to kind of be on this side as well, and to see the reality of of, of daily life here as well, and, and and trying to establish an international education in a country which has never had it before, which is inward looking and not outward facing, which it, which is what most people want it to be, certainly the younger generation. Mm. I mean, you, there's a lot there, and and you know, you, it's a, it's very sort of um, quite inspiring to hear how you're, you're sort of seeing it like that in these different sort of you know, in so in, there's so much to unpick there. So there's the historical context, there's the links to wider Europe, there's the sort of keeping people and opportunities in home. I mean, on the sort of since you've been there, then uh, in the school, I mean, how have you found it to when you try to implement the things you want to implement, and you know what are some of the initiatives you've sort of tried to put in place that you think, you know, that sort of make that challenge worth it? Because I think international teachers, you know, they they know they could probably go to Dubai or or you know Malaysia, and there's a, it's very well established, and there's great schools, and that's that's obviously a, a fantastic thing to do as well. But it sounds like you're you sort of gone in and had to sort of deal with that dual challenge of you know, get sort of convincing some people that this is, this is the way we should do it or doing something new for the first time. I mean, you know, has that challenge been as, I guess, inspiring as, as you hoped it would be? I think it has. And I think you're absolutely right. I think there are some very established international schools in, in, in traditional areas, the Middle East and China, where schools have operated for a long time. And, uh, you know, it is a kind of a home from home on lots of levels in terms of systems when you go into a school and curriculum. And I think the challenge of setting up the first international school in, a, in an area where it doesn't exist and where your neighbours are sort of few and far between as international schools. Um, we've just um, started the process of accreditation with COBIS, the, the Council of Overseas British International Schools. And actually our group is the Black Sea Schools Group, which is all around Turkey and Azerbaijan and Romania and Ukraine. And uh, we met on Friday, so we have our monthly meetings as principals. And that was really useful to sort of get their stories. And we are in a very different sort of um, situation mm. as international schools here as we're developing. But in terms of the challenges, absolutely. I mean, what you have in your head as a school leader and what you're used to um, on everything from safeguarding to uh, timetable to all those routines, the, the involvement of parents and, you know, um, the development of children, you come and have all that challenged. And, and I think establishing systems that are based on an international sort of scale and benchmarked against those um, sort of measures has been really important because the legacy of the Soviet system is that sort of, there's still a uniformity and there's still a kind of bureaucracy, which you know has its place. But at the same time, if the school's going to be innovative and actually be able to kind of plough its own furrow and, and be outward facing and, and, and sort of do those things which, you know, parents want, the international community wants. That was, that's another really important reason why we're here is that we can bring the international community to Moldova and all those agencies from the UN and UNDP, UNICEF, um, embassies, they will bring staff here too. And that has a good wider implication on society. But it was a challenge and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you the best example. So I know that when my, I worked in sort of Russia, the, the, the director of the school, I mean, it's sort of omnipotent. I mean, some heads probably still think they are. Um, but there's, there wasn't this idea that somehow leadership came from different areas of the school or that we had 
structures of leadership or collaborative or collegiate or servant or whatever you wanted to call it. And everybody looked to the direct. So in, in Romanian, it's called domnal if it's a man. So everybody wanted the domnal to be the sort of the font of all knowledge and the answers, which I wasn't used to because I've always worked with phenomenal teams. I've been very fortunate to work with some brilliant heads in my career and have developed me and mentored me. And um, I've, I've worked with teams that have produced phenomenal results in, all, in schools I've worked with. And, and the team I've left behind in YD was a phenomenal team. So you come here expecting that replicated and then everybody looks for you for the answers and everybody looks for you to, to set the pattern and tone, but in a way much more than just, you know, laying out the vision of a school or the ethos. And that was, that was tough. And I said from the beginning, I mean, even, even the use of names, um, you know, it, it, it was Rob, but there was, there was this Domhnall Rob and it was, or Vojd is the word in Russia, boss, which is a very old fashioned word. And, and that challenge was really interesting, especially because there was an expectation that if you sat long enough, you automatically became the leader or you certainly <laughs> rose in seniority. And what's been a real joy here is to release the energy and the talent and the leadership of younger members of staff. So for a remarkable head of global education, Tatiana Popper, her work is phenomenal. And it's educators like her that are the future of this country and the way that they've been able to challenge the norm. And what, of course, speaks for itself for all the results, the engagement of the children, it's the profile, it's the it's the depth of the projects that are undertaken and, 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 and how that adds to the wider understanding of, of, the, of the kids, mm. of their society and, and, and global society. And I think that, that's, been, that, that's been a really interesting challenge. And of course, the whole challenge of global education, international education, I mean, you know, I'll be honest and say there are a few people who don't see the wider world as necessarily something they want to get engaged with or why they have to. And there's a, there's a very introverted mindset, um, which, you know, we've seen nationalist populism all across Europe and North America. So it's nothing new to this part of the world, but it is something that we've challenged with the concept of global citizenship and also exploring the identity and being proud of who they are. So they're very proud of the food here. It's a very organic country. The wine is phenomenal. Um, the writers, literature, culture is really strong. So there's the legacy of everybody goes to the theatre, everybody goes to the sort of the ballet and, and the opera, and, the, and there's a real strong... Uh, literature is really strong here. So Emanescu, the great Romanian writer, we've actually just named the library after him. Um, Pushkin was exiled to Kishnau in the 1820s um, and didn't speak too fondly of Kishnau or um, Moldova or Bessarabia as well then. But there's a, there's a lovely sort of anniversary of that, which we're celebrating at the moment. And it brings all these strands together. And I, I think that's what I love most about international education is we learn something about one another and we put it into that wider context as well. But I, th I think I think the biggest challenge is, is really just getting used to something which isn't isn't like a UK school. Not that I'm trying to replicate a UK school here, because we we want the best of all education systems. And I think yeah. that's where international education isn't constrained by you know we, we we see these kind of awful binary sort of arguments on Twitter and edge of Twitter, and and and, and we sometimes think, come on, let's break out of this and think differently. Mm -hmm. And I think here in international education, we saw that in the crisis, the collaborative nature of international schools and, 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 and the open-mindedness, that international-mindedness of, of seeing what works and what could fit your context. I think, I think that's been the really good idea of coming here and being able to sort of put some of that into place as well. Yeah. And, and you, you wrote an article for us, actually, um, and it's really worth reading, anyone who's, you know, people listening and watching, um, about how you worked with the education ministry in Moldova during the start of the sort of coronavirus crisis. And they came to you and 
were aware that you were sort of doing very innovative work on you know in how we could do remote teaching and distance teaching and all this kind of stuff and so again that to me i think you know that we see sort of all around the world who sort of think oh i wish our governments were a bit more sort of engaged with us and came to us you know i.e the experts on this stuff for help and how we could sort of do it better i mean that that definitely shows a very sort of a modern mindset and something that maybe yeah like you're saying to some people when that in parts of the world just doesn't happen and, and, and that should be sort of applauded that it does i i, I think um that 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 example um it, it was so groundbreaking um one because i'm very conscious of the privilege that we have as an as an international school that's fee paying and i also i'm aware of the economic sort of development of of, of moldova um on a general level but also as you say to be able to actually come and cross sectors and i think this is where we see when we see education develop we see sectors being crossed we don't see labels when i um, worked with Cheltenham Ladies College and we set up the IB uh, region in the southwest about 15 years ago. One of the joys of that collaboration was that for the first time I was sitting with people from FE, primary schools, private schools, state schools, and actually we all had something to contribute. It was a very powerful, energizing sort of community of, learn of professionals. And I think that's what happened here. The national education community needed to have some coherence. And I, and I will say this, looking at the way that some governments were so ambiguous in the crisis and really allowed school leaders to, to struggle to find responses and to find direction. Um, and so when they came here and I, we made the, the point about, you know, all having a cup of tea together to, to break the ice and to start the conversations going, um, we knew that it was a big step for the ministry because um, our model perhaps doesn't sit very comfortable with what they're used to and their procedures and their bureaucracy. But actually, Minister Popovich uh, um, was very, very keen to see the distance learning. As we know in this crisis, one size doesn't fit all. So we, we, we made it very clear it's not about having the most sophisticated digital learning platforms or capabilities. Um, we talked about sort of um, offline learnings, you know, asynchronous learning. Um, what we showed, though, was that if you had a commitment to try and ensure learning continues and you start to kind of become... I hate to use the glib phrase solutions focus, but that's effectively what we're doing. Um, and, you know, this phrase kept reappearing all the time. You know, doing nothing wasn't an option. We couldn't just wait and wait and wait. And as we found out six mm. months into the crisis, and we're looking at probably another six months, if not longer, this is going to go on and on and on. And there's so many twists and turns in it. So, you know, I think it was Tim Brickhouse who talked about good leaders seeing around corners and crisis is the norm. Well, we're living that right now as school leadership around the world in different societies and contexts. And I think that's what was good about that meeting, that it set a good model of, of collaboration. And, you know, again, colleagues from here uh, produce webinars and produce videos and train tens of thousands of teachers. We shared that in our networks. And I think one of the um, positives that's come out of the crisis is just how strong and the depth of that collaboration. I mean, we've all spent a fortune going to expensive conferences in London or around the world. And yet now we've got this plethora of online, um, you know, learning and webinars and you know mm. you guys have been amazing at ts and, and the work you've done and provided for schools um the british council e-twinning all these people are sort of supporting us and i think what it showed when 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 the ministry came here is there is a network that you know this is how collaboration works that somebody has an answer even if we don't have one right at this point and also as we know education can be really isolating and pretty lonely um and the thing that I've always valued about international education is you never feel that with, with, 
with, with international education. There's always somebody that will share something, somebody that will say, have a look at this. This is what we did in our school or we did in our country. And I think that was a real strength of that meeting and what happened subsequently to that as well. Mm. Um, and we're seeing it now. Uh, we had a visit from the, the Directory of, uh, of Education uh, boss yesterday here and we're showing how our, our safe measures are working and what we're doing in schools because that's the next uncertain part of this period. How long you know, do we stay open and testing and safe measures and we're all wearing masks in, in, our, in our school and, and um, you know, washing our hands frequently, all those things that we're doing. But ultimately, um, there's not a manual as there never is in education in dealing with something which is you know, the worst crisis to hit education in modern times in any society. So mm. um, it, show, it showed, I, I, I just, I, I want to put this point across as well because schools like ours have, should have a strong commitment to social responsibility. And I think some of the best independent schools in the UK have always done this. I know they sometimes get a bad press, but actually if you actually look at some of the work um, I, I know what Eton are doing with the Thames Valley Partnership. And those are really strong links where they're sharing expertise. And it, it's actually equitable because there, it's not just one school telling another school what to do or um, sort of patronising them. And I think that social responsibility is really important. Um, if, if you've got something to share and you have an idea, you know, it's a duty. We knew that our colleagues in Moldova would have gone not even onto furlough. They would have been sort of not paid and they would have mm. had to come back in the summer. So when I heard this, I just knew that we had to try and help as much as possible. Um, and unfortunately, we ended up with a workable solution in that first part of the crisis. Mm. Yeah, no, very interesting. And as I say, I think it's really worth that article. You know, as we said as well, that really is a nice summation in slightly more detail there. But I mean, the wider points you're making there about the importance of providing and, and you know, working together and the international connectedness is something that, yeah, you know, you're here. I'm hearing that from, from educators all, all over the world, which is, makes sense. Um, but it's it's fascinating how that's come to the fore and how many of those networks probably already existed, you know, and, but people weren't using them well enough and now they are. Um, do you think that's probably a fair view as well? I, th I think it is. It was an interesting point made in the COBUS meeting of principals on Friday and uh, I think it was one of the guys from Turkey and he just said, listening to you and hearing everybody, that's just the best thing for today. I don't feel I'm on my own listening to you all mm. say, we've had this problem, we've had this problem, we're trying to put this in place. And I think... Again, school leadership is very lonely. They're all expecting you to have all the answers. They're all expecting you to have a strategy instantly at your fingertips. You're not supposed to show any emotions. We've all got families. We've all got, you know, we're all trying to do the best for the children in our care. And I thought it was a really important point that, and I felt the same in many respects, um, that we all were sitting there and we were all being honest and saying, this has been difficult and this has been a really difficult time or the ministry has come across and said that we have to do this now and that's adding another now, I mean my my academic director here I, I mean Inga Kiyosa she's a saint I have no idea how she's able just to keep soaking up all the changes at a moment's notice but this is what these brilliant people do and mm -hmm. they get on with it because they're so passionate about making sure the young people have their education um, and that's coming across time and time again in this crisis. Mm -hmm. You mentioned brilliant people there, and that's something else I wanted to ask you about. It was it was sort of recruitment, and obviously, I mean, appreciate the coronavirus situation may have affected that. You know, obviously, it will have, but more generally, you know, again, like if, if international teachers watching this, whether they're they or they're thinking about becoming an international teacher, or they're a couple of years in somewhere and they're thinking about their next move. I mean, you know, why Moldova? Give us the pitch. I mean, you've touched on you mentioned like you know wine growing and sort of literature and culture. Why don't you really give give it a hard sell? And you know, why should people come to Moldova? in general, okay. not, just, not just for the school teaching, but as a, as a country? 
Um, we had we had a wonderful visit from a British school in October last year, Chichester Free School, which uh, was on an Erasmus scheme, and it, I think it was the first British state school to come across. And the ambassador, Steve Fisher, and the British Embassy hosted them as well. It was lovely. Um, it's authentic. Um, Prague is is a wonderful, beautiful place, but it's so overrun, it's unbelievable. And I saw all the schemes in the summer to try and curb the number of tourism and, and how it's changed that country so much. This this is an authentic experience. I'll be curious to see what Moldova looks like in 20 years because we're starting to see eco-tourism develop, from a, certainly from a lot of Nordic tourists that are coming here, but it still is the least visited part of Europe. Um, you can walk down the streets of Kishnev, wonderful cafes and restaurants, beautiful green city, um, I don't want to over-romanticise it, but I, I actually, you get it to yourself and um, you do feel as if you're visiting somewhere that other people haven't been. And I know that's mm. the, sort of the difference between a tourist or a traveller, I don't know. Um, I used to always find the travellers were rushing into Bangkok McDonald's at the drop of a hat. But um, <laughs> you, you certainly find that um, there's so much to explore here. It's fascinating. It's a different type of, uh, uh, of sort of experience. Um, I mean, I, I love living here. I, it's also one of those places where when you spend a bit of time learning some Russian or Romanian and, you know, what's been nice here, we've, we've, we've made our international teachers kind of buddy up with local teachers and we've got some great local teachers who've put on nice meals and, and taken them to the countryside, which is beautiful. Um, you get that authentic experience. I mean, the, the, there's, a, there's a few wonderful natural um, places here. The River Nistru, we were basically this sort of rectangle-shaped land between the Prut, which is the border of Romania, and the Nistru which is the border with Ukraine. Plus we have a frozen Cold War conflict in Transnistria, which is a sort of an enclave which broke away and it's Russian speaking and there's a Russian sort of garrison there as, as peacekeepers. So we've got the kind of this really complex history and, and, and sort of present, but at the same time, it's rolling hills. I mean, I'm, I'm going to over my side of this point, but I was, I was a place on Saturday, because um, uh, it's great pick is, is the big thing now, and it was like the Cotswolds with vineyards. I mean, I thought, mm. like, but then you go to a village and they've got horses pulling carts and, you know, so I don't want to over-romanticise because people, um, um, you know, here, life, life, life is tough. People haven't got the benefits. They're very mobile people, the Moldovans. They travel, they work abroad, they send money back. The diaspora is very strong. And you get a real sense of community from them. From them. And I, I just, I mean, I love the culture of this place. I love the fact that, you know, working class people will be in a theatre watching Shakespeare um, or, or Emanescu. And it, it is incredible, um, this, that vibrancy. Mm. Um, there, it's funny, one of the ambassadors said to me that um, people need to smile more. And my American colleague last year said the same thing. And I, I think it's the same all over the world. Though. I mean, I, I, where I live in the centre, I mean, guy that lives opposite the security guard on the building site near that, you put your hand up, you say hello, bona dimiazzo, dobre otro, and... You know, all, all that breaks it down. Speaking loudly in English to a taxi driver isn't going to really further that conversation much further or shouting, which is what I tell all my American colleagues. But um, it, no, I, I, th I think coming here is a real choice. I think it's quirky. Um, you know, I, my, my colleagues in South Africa, they, they took a camper van up, up, up the north um, to the beautiful fortress called Sirocco. And we've got, we're, at a, we're a real confluence of, cultures we've got the ottoman influence we've got the slavic influence the latin influence um it is quite incredible mm. uh, when you start to peel that back and uncover it and and it's a bit like wales it's a it's a, an historic land but a young country and it's a real proud people as well and um you know overshadowed by larger neighbors so um it, it is definitely worth 
I, I think these places are, are worth exploring. And going back to the point you said about somebody considering international teaching, and I've seen a couple of good articles um, over the last year. I think everybody should have an experience abroad. I, th I think it really broadens their perspective on education. I think they bring something very authentic. I think we have actually become quite regimented in, in the English model in the state system. I think there's a lot of systems that are very um, familiar. I would say the multi-academy trust system at its worst has kind of narrowed into its own sort of um, uh, groups and, and, and rarely kind of looks, the, the better ones don't, of course. Um, but I think just as educators coming to see different systems in operation and experiencing that. And in some respects, you go back having more appreciation sometimes of, you know, how, how the English system works or how your sort of home mm. country works. Um, but I, th I, th I think we all benefit from, from, from this. I don't think it, it, it can be seen as a negative experience. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, Mo there's a very warm welcome in Moldova for anybody. They, they love when people talk about the country. And, mm. um, you know, there is a board game in John Lewis called Where is Moldova? Uh, which, which is tongue-in-cheek, I know, but, um, you know, people are always looking for somewhere authentic. Well, Moldova's yeah. your place. Well, I say, I mean, you, you talk about over-romanticising it, but I, I don't think you did that at all. I think, you know, it's, it's a part of the world, like you say, that perhaps is overlooked and, and shouldn't be, and, and there's clearly a fascinating mix of everything there, so I think that's great. And just, just to sort of, sort of understand on that last, on that point about recruitment and, and people coming to you, I mean, you know, are you, if you have job ads, again, I may, maybe this isn't something that's happened recently, but you know, do you get lots of applicants um, or, or actually is it sort of scratching around, picking through a few CVs? I mean, you know, because do you think people are like, oh, I wouldn't go there. I don't, I don't know anything yeah. about it. Or is actually, you know, really that's the place to go and I guess further your career because the opportunities are so great. I, th I think that's a good question. I, th I think it started off with scratching around and people saying, well, you know, there's no, there's no history of any international school in Moldova. There's a, there's a small embassy school attached to the US embassy, but it's not, not the same at, at all. Um, and this year we found, even in the crisis, because they've seen on social media um, what we're doing and, you know, uh, the sort of the, 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 just the, the excitement of the education and, and the ability to develop ideas and, and projects and to sort of run with it and, and, and what the kids do. We have had a huge number of, of applications for the jobs that we advertised. And I thought that was a really good positive sign. I still think it's quirky to come here, but at the same time, you know, the salaries in Eastern Europe are not going to be the big tax-free salaries of the, uh, of the Middle East or China. But at the same time, um, you know, you can live really comfortably here as an international mm. teacher um, and have a really good experience. And this is what I think people find. And again, the history is fascinating. The country is fascinating. Um, and interestingly, how many international teachers are starting to put roots down here? My head of Cambridge... Um, Rosie, I mean, her and her husband, she's having, a, she's having a baby here in a few weeks' time, which I wish her well. Um, Rose has been here from the beginning of the project when the school started. They love it here. I mean, they're, 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 for their foreseeable future, they're, they're here, and it's really interesting. A couple of American teachers are the same. Um, I've got a couple of people who I know whose kids are here were in the original sort of Peace Corps back in the 1990s, and they stayed. And, uh, you know, they've, they've got businesses here, and that's been really interesting to see that I mean, the international community is not huge, but at the same time, um, people make a decision to sort of um, stay here and, and, and sort of invest and contribute in the society. So um, I think that's possibly where you feel you get worth to, is that you are actually, we want people to leave something. We're all going to pass through. We're all going to eventually move on and, you know, um, but at the same time, we can actually leave something meaningful in our careers uh, in the development of, you know, what this school means 
for this country and what the country means as well for the for the for the young people of Moldova. Well, and, and it certainly certainly sounds like from what you've spoken about already that, that the school is very much has has that real connectedness with the country and with there are staff there that are local and you're like you said it's not this like little enclave of of no 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 Brit Brits who come and then they leave and they just replace one <laughs> another. It, it's very much you're if you leave something good you know you're leaving it for the community of of locals Absolutely. to benefit from I, too. I know from my own work with international schools over many years that, that you know, we, we know that when international schools put themselves into a very isolated bubble, that it, it's not good. I, I mean, it's not a good model. It doesn't, I, I can't see how you could do that personally anyway, because, um, you know, we've been involved, for example, supporting a dog's um, shelter here with the stray dogs. We've been working with local orphanages. I just feel that we've got the British ambassador speaking today for the, for the start of our founders lecture series. Um, I just feel that that connectedness is, is is an important part of how you operate as a school. Mm. And if we're teaching our kids to be open-minded and outward-facing and internationally minded and future leadership in their societies, how on earth could you not connect them to the wider world? And and, and even know, I used to make me laugh when I was in Bristol and, you know, we were in the suburbs, but people hadn't actually been to the centre of Bristol, um, you know, let alone London, or you'd find that in Wales as well, they hadn't been to Cardiff. And you think... Perhaps sometimes we have to start with the local and actually get them entwined into that um, as, as we sort of, you know, we, we look at not educating in abstract and actually connecting them to that real world. Um, I think the Marxist historian Hobsbawm talked about the permanent presence of the generation we're in right now. And it's we, we've got to break that. We've got to connect them to where they are and to connect them to their society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. OK. Well, I mean, I think that's been a really interesting insight into, you know, how you came to be where you are and, and why other people should consider it and the work you're doing. And I think, you know, really interesting thing. And I think, I suppose, ultimately, a really good sort of insight into Eastern Europe as a destination. And, you, you, you know, you touched on, like, the Black Sea Schools Group and things like that. So this is not, we're not, in some ways, it's not just Moldova is the only... Oh, God, no, no. But There's wonderful schools across Eastern Europe doing some great things. And it definitely is worth experiencing. Mm, excellent, okay. Well, thank you. That's really interesting and great to have your time. And I hope you know, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. And, and you know, your, your name will be on Tez articles that people can read and keep an eye out for on the website. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for the opportunity. And thanks to Tez as well.